0: sleeps, pal.
1: Welcome to Money Never Sleeps, a podcast that looks inside the head of entrepreneurs and at what makes them do what they do. A wise person once said, the world is more malleable than you think, and it's just waiting for you to hammer it into shape. We talk to entrepreneurs doing just that and try to find out why. I'm Pete Townsend, and this is our 13th episode of Money Never Sleeps. A podcast kindly sponsored by Top Tier Recruitment, a specialist recruitment consultancy in fintech and financial services. In this episode, we talk to Emerald DeLeo, the CEO of EuroComply and a data protection specialist since long before it was cool. Through EuroComply, Emerald delivers training and advisory services on data protection and helps people realize that it's not the apocalypse, it's just regulation. Owen and I both knew Emerald from before this episode, as we all bump into each other regularly at events and on the conference circuit. For as long as I've known Emerald, she's been very consistent and on pitch. What I learned by talking to Emerald is that an entrepreneur's main product can very much be themselves. So being consistent in your pitch of what you do is critical. And if you keep pitching that one thing and you find your purpose, the money will follow. Before I give too much away though, on with the show. So here we go again. Welcome to the 13th episode of Money Never Sleeps. We're here in the offices of top tier recruitment in Dublin. I'm Pete Townsend. And I'm Owen Fitzgerald. And we're here with Emerald DeLieu, Executive Director of EuroComply. Welcome to the show, Emerald.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Wonderful. Thanks for coming. So we met, you and I, at the Dublin Tech Summit about a year and a half ago, um, just very quickly. And then again at the Adminovate Conference last year that you kindly spoke at. It's the one that I put together with the guys from FundRex. Shout out to the guys from FundRex. Loop Fantastic team. <laughs> They're now not only Ireland-based, but also New York City-based as well. Um, they're a great bunch. Of, uh, uh, for those who listeners that aren't aware of uh, Fundrex, they are um, a fintech scale up that that grew up out of Ireland. Here, anyway, for our listeners, Emerald, maybe just start by telling us a bit about Eurocomply, what you're doing, your story, and your other activities. Yeah.
0: Sure. Um, I suppose Eurocomply, we're a data protection consultancy firm. Um, We were initially a software firm, but because we started our GDPR journey in 2012, we were a little bit early to the party, (laughs) which was a little bit of an outlier. But I wrote my master thesis on the GDPR in 2012, and I ended up pitching the initial concept for a SaaS solution, which I've since learned was RegTech, in 2013, at Cork Startup Weekend, in front of the likes of Pat Phelan from Trustev, who sold to TransUnion, and to Sean O'Sullivan from SOS Ventures. And this was at the time that cloud computing was taking off, right? So it was there was huge concern about data fragmentation. And I was in the middle of this master thesis, and I won a ticket. I had never... Envision myself to be an entrepreneur. Like I have three law degrees. So I was becoming a solicitor and that was the way it was going to go down. So um, I pitched it and it was really well received. So then I kind of, you know, made my bed, I had to lie in it and work on this rudimentary version of what Eurocomply was going to be for the entire weekend. And that was that. So I left. It was well-received. Cloud computing was taking off. And they said, you know, we, we kind of understand that this is going to be an issue because we actually don't know where our data is because data could be anywhere. So that was said to me. And, and, and I just kind of parked it then. And I continued working on my master's thesis because I, I tend to go all in on stuff. So master's thesis was my main focus. And I, back then, I just thought it would be very fancy to have a master's in law, um, ego, ego. Young people do this. Um, and at the end of the journey, I learned that in Ireland, the whole system for becoming a solicitor works dramatically different than it does in the Netherlands. In Holland, you have to have a master's. So I moved country to do this master's in technology law and um, intellectual property. And I learned that here you have to sit FE1s so and you have to do all of this stuff, right? And I had to come to terms with that. That took a while, I'll be honest with you, because I felt that, you know, having two bachelor degrees both in law plus a master's in a specialty area should be sufficient to at least go work in a firm and do something. But that was not the case. I had to go and study all sorts of areas of law again. So there was, after handing in my master thesis, it was October, I think, of 2013. I was sitting in the Bull Library. I had spent a fortune on buying the documents that I needed to study to sit all of these new exams, so I had to study Irish law and I really just didn't care. Um and I was sitting there and I was studying the Irish liability for fire. And Wow. Yeah, so you literally have to do every area. So you have to do land law, you have to do tort and they was this was tort law, so somebody, you know there's a fire somewhere and somebody is liable. And I just I and this idea was still niggling away at me because somebody had said to me and they were credible in my eyes and they still are very, very credible people. They had said it was a good idea. So I just quit and it's completely unlike me. This comes from some the most one of the most type A people you're ever going to meet in your life. I quit on the spot and said to my mother, you know what? I think I'm going to start a software company. <laughs> <laughs> that went down really well, you can imagine. Wow. Um, I basically... Messed about with this idea while doing a bit of consultancy for some companies that kind of got data protection really early. There were a few of them. I was doing some writing for them on the GDPR that was coming um, while figuring out my life. This is genuinely what happened. I then felt, and here's the real cracker, that after doing three degrees, that just wasn't enough. So I had to go back to college and do another master's in business information systems. And now I'm glad I did that because the rationale was... I know all this legal bit, right? But I know nothing about business or tech. Mm -hmm. So at least now I know a tiny bit about business and tech. Now I can start a reg tech company. So off to UCC, Ignite, I went, which was an incubator, spent a year there in 2015. Um, Still nobody was believing anything about GDPR. Yeah. Um, It was really hard. So I literally got no constantly. Privacy isn't a thing. Data protection isn't a thing. It'll never be enforced. It will just never happen. So there were a few people that believed in me, like Eamon Kirsten in Ignite was one of them. He, They kind of figured that if I was so convinced of this, there might be something there because I obviously had all of these qualifications, so I couldn't be completely delusional. So they took a punt and they backed me for a year. And then it took me about three or four applications to Enterprise Ireland Competitive Start Fund for them to say... Female founder, you're number 11 on the list. There were 10 places, right? Three days before the female founders program with Enterprise Ireland took off, yeah. I get a phone call from the NDRC, who are another investor um, and supporter of her business, saying, Emerald, I've got great news. This was Helen Fullen in, in the NDRC. Somebody dropped out. You were number, I had already gone up for the feedback, <laughs> right? I had already been rejected for the fourth time. Yeah. So, it was slightly soul-destroying, but I was kind of yeah. expecting it to have to just go back again. I was like, these people are going to fund me eventually. They will see the light. It's going <laughs> to happen. So somebody dropped out and I had three days to move to Dublin. So it, it took me two weeks. We actually found a place in, in Balls Bridge to live, which was a miracle because it was already pretty bad in 2016 when we got this funding. And... That really helps because the moment I moved to Dublin, things really changed. And that's not to say that Cork wasn't good to me, but when it comes to compliance and privacy and GDPR, most of the decision makers are in Dublin. So I was pitching not necessarily people who didn't want to help, but people who just didn't really face this in their day-to-day jobs or who just hadn't been briefed yet on GDPR. Mm-hmm. Um, and the programs were just run elsewhere. So I spent six months in the NDRC Um Networked like a woman possessed, like that has literally been the only reason we got anywhere. Like credibility in in
1: Dublin or elsewhere.
0: Everywhere, Uh, anyone who would listen, I was pitching them. Um, Literally, if you had, they may not want to listen to you, but they'll just listen to you to be polite. I'd be that awkward person who would still pitch you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just. Yeah. No. I get that. You just have to. Do
1: people go on their back foot when you start?
0: No, um, I, I think there might be something in the fact that you're five foot four female entrepreneur yeah. who kind of looks like she deserves not to be rejected again. I don't, <laughs> like, there, the happy, a desperation. Yeah, no, there have been moments, like especially in the first year, I kept setting myself deadlines, right? I would say to myself, okay, if it doesn't happen by this date or if we don't get funded by this date, I'm going to call it a day and I'm going to do something sensible with my life. Um, but every time something happened. Um, so the funding was was the main game changer for us because I was struggling just to pay myself. And I was a pretty qualified person. I could have taken a job. Um, it would be an entry-level job, but at least there'd be money coming yeah, yeah, in. Exactly. So I bootstrapped the entire thing. And then... We went through the program and then Accenture um, Fintech Lab, Mm -hmm. which was really good because John Culkin in Accenture, he would just march, I don't think there was five of us, into all of these giant banks and you'd sit down with the person who actually had some insight into what you were trying to do as well as had some power in the company to go, this is a great idea or this is a terrible idea. Because this was in the time where we had a reg tech solution that essentially would allow you to assess, track, and demonstrate compliance with the GDPR by auditing yourself, but also auditing your entire data supply chain, aggregating that compliance data, and making it centrally available to a person in Dublin. So for example, if you're a data protection officer, you're sitting here in Dublin, you have no idea how compliant your vendor in Hong Kong is, you can force the audit on them and aggregate that data and see where they're at, and then you'll know whether you need to scrap them or whether they can stay on your approved vendor list.
1: So that's Euro in a nutshell.
0: Yes. Um, obviously, we have all of these other plans, but we're doing a, another round at the moment, whether that's for our consultancy business, which has absolutely gone bonkers. It's I bet. really busy. I never thought I'd get to the point where I, I had to say, we would absolutely love to support you, but you have a couple of weeks because I can't hire quickly enough. So we're just looking to kind of ramp up now and take in some more money.
1: I remember in January at Innovate, you said that the problem with most banks is that they really don't have their head around the problem yet. And that was back in January. Yes. Um, what happened between January and May when GDPR went live?
0: So- I'm still exposed to quite a bit of what goes on in the banks, not necessarily the ones that were associated with the fintech lab, because they were very much in a mentorship role towards me. But during other consultancy games, I get some insight. Um, They're still in the middle. Lots of them are still in the middle of programs. Of course, they're more mature. So what you see in a lot of organizations, not just banks, is what will have happened is they've done their initial gap analysis. Mm -hmm. They figured out they had all of these problems. And they also probably worked out that they had all of these vendors who now won't come back with a signed agreement or who won't answer their questionnaires, etc. So. I kind of saw that years ago and I feel very smug about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, Rightly like, so.
0: Yeah, well, you know. A it, woman it, ahead of your time. Well, it's hard. It's It's a difficult it thing to do and I think a lot of people were so... Th- focus on the fines that they kind of forgot that they're responsible for their data supply chain, which is a much bigger problem than the fines. I mean, all the authorities have said we're not going to fine everybody. Mm -hmm. Which makes complete sense. It's not the purpose. Like, it's super clever what the European Commission has done, because they've built a regulation that allows private entities to to ensure it gets implemented. It's really, really smart. Um, So you don't even need the authorities to get an awful lot of the work done. But anyway, back to the banks. Um, They're still in the middle of their programs. They're more mature now and they're looking more into the nitty gritty stuff. Um, But subject access requests, they've taken up so much capacity in banks. Um, There's been such an uptake of people just filing them and go, give me my data or delete all of my data and how to handle that workload. Because you only have one month, right, of receiving the request you need to execute. If you don't, you can go and complain to the authorities. And the authorities have to investigate every complaint. So then you're exposed. That's not good. So... yeah, they're, they're more mature, but they're definitely not there.
1: So they're getting the top-level stuff just to basically be able to say we're, we're generally compliant, and then there's a lot of things on a laundry list that they still have to do?
0: Yeah, and there's still there's still an awful lot of confusion as well. You know, you, you'll start off with doing a record of your processing activities, and I force every company to do this. It's only mandatory for companies that have more than 250 employees. Generally, I don't care because I just go in and say, if you want us to help you, you're doing them, because if you don't understand your own data, Data, we can't help you because how am I supposed to advise you if, if you don't, if you can't tell me what you're doing and exactly where the data is going? So, when you do these records, what you have to do, and it's literally well, unless you're using software, it's an ugly spreadsheet and it's really, really big and it's really intimidating. So, basically, you'll say, This is our HR department and this is the spreadsheet for HR. Um, during the recruitment process, we'll collect. Name, CV, uh, contact details, blah, 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 blah. We'll associate a retention period with it. We will have a legal basis that has a foundation in the GDPR associated with it, etc, etc. So even just understanding what you can choose from and what the right lawful basis is and which one is the most robust for every particular processing activity, that requires a lot of thinking. It's, it's not an easy job. So you can't really blame companies for being non-compliant, but then on the other hand, the draft was released in 2012.
1: Yeah.
2: And it has I suppose has all of the publicity around the likes of Facebook and all of the privacy challenges has that helped I suppose in the GDPR side in terms of, I know it's been coming it's a regulation people are aware of it anyway but has it brought more attention to that world and
0: absolutely um so I've never been a huge fan of fear mongering I just don't find that yeah. it's particularly effective I mean. At the end of the day, it's not the apocalypse; it's a regulation. You need to do it, but we're not all going to die a horrible death because the GDPR is here, right? <laughs> and that's kind of what what we've been seeing. So, a couple of things on that. I'm just trying to organise my thoughts here. Um, so, um, just to give some interesting insights first, I suppose, as to what's going on on a global scale. Um, firstly, California introduced the California Privacy uh, or Consumer Privacy bill or act. Yeah. Um that is really interesting because let's face it, most of the really big tech companies are there. Those who are in Europe, who have European headquarters, would still be receiving most of their instructions from the US. So where some tech companies, not naming anyone in particular, might have been quite chill regarding privacy and just went, eh, GDPR might happen whatever we don't care it's europe we can always just not sell in europe we'll just block out all european consumers i'm sure some of you have seen this mm-hmm. yeah. now it's oh it's a californian bill so it kind of applies here as well now and it's 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 definitely inspired by gdpr um so that might drive compliance with gdpr if the powers come from coming from the us yeah, yeah. No, i I, would, I was
1: surprised to hear a perspective from the us It was like well you know, we we could shut people out or we can just comply with the European regulation Mm. and let's just comply with the European regulation it'll make our lives easier.
0: Exactly. So we're doing that with a couple of our clients. We're saying to them, right, you're not in Europe yet. Um, At least through your website, it's going to be really difficult not to process data that relates to European residents. Even if you have an American customer who then goes on holiday in Europe, then they're in Europe, right? So they're then the GDPR impacts you. It has nothing to do with citizenship. That drives me mad, actually. Such a pet peeve. People will tell me, GDPR applies to European citizens. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. It applies to data subjects within the EU. Yeah. And there's a couple of other criteria that might cause it to apply. So that's one thing. India just introduced the GDPR. It's not called the GDPR but it's the GDPR. It looks exactly like the GDPR. It has similar terminology. It even uses legitimate interest as a lawful ground. They call it something different. They call it reasonable processing. So that only happened last week. So we're seeing all of these privacy acts being implemented. And this is because people apparently do care about privacy. You know, a very famous tech company, won't name anybody in particular. They bet against privacy. Bad idea. (coughs) Terrible idea people do care about privacy and people want to know what's going on it's not that people you know are against innovation or against data i will never tell companies oh you should not innovate or you shouldn't use massive quantities of sensitive data if you're going to do that accept the risk tell your customer exactly what you're doing in words that they can understand yeah so absolutely the media did two things so first of all they drew much necessary attention to what is actually going on they expose things that are actually really common that happen that are unethical and wrong yeah um and they've made people more weary about handing their data over at least people some people now pause and ask the question
1: yeah i pause now i do yeah and say am i really ready to comply with this yep okay fine Mm. It I find that I now notice if
2: like an app on my phone wants access to my contacts for some oh, random yeah, reason where it has no, has no reason to yeah. access my contacts, you know, like what a game from my kids on my phone wants to access my photos and be like, oh, why?
0: Yeah, it's really, it's actually quite creepy. And also I make a habit of, of reading privacy policies now. Some of them are absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ludicrous.
1: You're probably the only one.
0: No, I'm actually not. There's a couple couple of me's going around. I, I, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. it's a meetup group. Little, there's, like, I wouldn't call myself a privacy activist, but I do call people out for doing dodgy stuff because otherwise other people won't know. You know, it's, it's an issue. Like, I've, I've been known to just, like, my Twitter is my personal account and it's just <laughs> full of me ranting yeah so i've so if, seen it yeah it's like passive aggressive most of the time <laughs> it's like i need to say it somewhere and says so i had to add opinions on my own because
2: yeah just in yeah. case and of um what i found interesting when they had zuckerberg on with congress and mm. and even in the uk was you know at a certain point whose responsibility was it you know you can argue that facebook and like i'm not taking either side to mm. have my own view on it but you could argue well was it their view to be decided like they were responsible for all this data and things that happened to it but are they the ones who should be deciding you know as a private or as a public private company whatever way you want to class them like is it his responsibility and the company's responsibility to decide or did they just become ultimately too big that you know their impact on the world was so um.
0: well there's certainly a visibility problem of course when you have a company that's that large they're bigger than nations now right so this is an issue this is why the antitrust bodies are not too happy with companies becoming too large because they become too powerful and they want to self-regulate and clearly that doesn't work um so whose responsibility is it you know if you have data it's your responsibility to make sure that you treat it ethically so whether that's your personal decision or it's the decision of somebody you have somewhere along the way hired, um, it shouldn't have happened. Um, I think that there is a problem with checking whether data was in fact deleted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that just even if you don't have to, it's just a very good idea. Um, and also just due to the volume of data, I think.
2: It, it could have played it safe. That's yeah,
0: I, I think that you know the business model of the likes of Facebook just doesn't align itself very well with privacy laws in general. So while I understand it's a business and you want to make as much money as possible, I think that some more care was required. And I think that even if there wasn't actually a breach or they didn't know or etc, etc, I think still from an ethics perspective and a kind of a duty of care and doing the right thing, you should try and make sure these things don't happen.
1: Yeah. Interesting to take things a little bit of a different direction, Emerald. Mm. Um, Most, I think, if not all, Owen, of the people that we've had on the show to date, um, entering their entrepreneurial journey had come through some sort of industry background. Mm. Um, You've come at it from a super uber educational degree background for the most part. And I was thinking that that was unique. But then I was thinking there were a couple of other people out there in the world who have done that with some success. These uh, two brothers called the Collison brothers. Have you heard of them? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah. yeah and, and Zuckerberg as we're as we're talking about. How has with, with the So you mentioned you've done a lot of networking to get the business to this stage. You've talked to so many people and pitched to so many people, um, and that you've come across a lot of other entrepreneurs along the way. How have you kind of, what lessons have you learned from them, and what lessons of yours have you imparted on others in terms of the difference in that journey between those coming out of industry and those that are coming at it from just a more native, original background?
0: Okay, so there were certainly huge gaps in my knowledge, and I'll be the first one to admit that. I had no idea how large corporations worked. No clue. No idea of their knowledge levels. Didn't have a clue. But I just figured that GDPR would eventually happen. And I just completely believed that. And it wasn't because I had some you know, crazy belief in my own judgment. It was because I actually read the GDPR. Okay. And I was like, yeah. it's, this is what is going to happen. This is what companies will have to do. Sure, there'll be some lobbying, it will be amended a little bit, and that'll be that. So it's going to happen. Might not happen tomorrow, but it's going to happen. So that is, I suppose, a lot of my own success comes from just being really, really stubborn. So I just stuck with it. And I said, like, there were plenty of days where I just, you know, didn't want to pick myself back up. Not necessarily something that I imparted on others, but I think they probably saw yeah. Um, like I didn't have much support until I got support from Enterprise Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, so I literally just always kind of felt like a lone ranger who at 25 moved from Holland to Ireland, had no network. I had to start over. So I was by myself. Um, UCC was really good because yeah. my mother is from Cork and there is this Cork mafia thing that apparently yeah. exists. But um, so, so that was useful. But what I learned from others was, you know, learn how companies work. And I got this a lot from, accelerators i got this a lot from just course, going to conferences yeah. and having a coffee with somebody um, i tried to meet everybody people would say i would contact people left right and center and meet me for a coffee i had some very seasoned ceos meet me every sunday in starbucks in on waterloo road and i would just say this is where we are wow and um, i've been very lucky with personal mentors and i always felt like i need to talk to people who have done this and know more than I do. I know way more about privacy than they do, but I have no idea how to run a company. And sometimes I still question whether I can run a business um, daily, actually. Just make do with what you can and off you go. Um, I don't know what people would have learned from me. I think it's the fact that if you hold out long enough and you actually stick with what you're saying and have focus because I never pitch myself as anything else. I always pitch myself consistently as the person who does data protection and privacy. So focus, I think, is is something that I've done quite well, and just shameless PR, completely. And I leave myself at home, right? I often cringe at my own shamelessness when I just come to terms with with myself at home. But I shamelessly. How do you pitch do
1: that? How do you come to terms with yourself?
0: Yeah. So basically, first of all, what you try to do is only look at your social media during working hours, which is eighteen hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you you can't you can't have shame when you are running. A new business you can't be humble about it either it just doesn't work i tried it it didn't work Um, since then i've just pushed everything on social media social media i think i get a lot of questions about that um i'm working with um ey at the moment they're a client of ours and we support them with their privacy work and you know sometimes i even get questions from them like how do you do it and it's just consistently having the same message there is no secret I always say to them, you know, I've been saying GDPR for six years now. Yeah. It's not that I have just done become good at pushing the message overnight. It's just that I've had the same message for six years. Mm-hmm. And now people know that it's something they should do. And so oh, sorry,
2: sorry. I know. I was going to say it's funny because, like, I obviously work with a lot of entrepreneurs, mm. and it's the ones who constantly hassle me, and I would find sometimes it's a pain in the ass. Mm. Or they're the ones who will last because mm. you know they're constantly trying to drive their business and push every last ounce of it out there. Versus mm. the ones who I may not hear about and are just kind of going through the motions, mm. or you know, enjoying their entrepreneurship journey and everything, but not like. Hustling and like that to me is you you I from what I can see and based on the conversation we've had in the past, like you would kind of embody that hustle as a Gary mm. V would class it, you know, as just getting out there and pushing it all the time.
0: Yeah, I'm, I am becoming more balanced though. I think that what I've learned in the eighteen in the last eighteen months, and it's actually been pivotal pivotal to me and the company. We are a profitable business now. We generate money. It's what yeah. we do. We're a business. Before that, we were losing money. Because I was trying to be a software company and trying to do the whole startup thing. And that just wasn't who I, that's just not who I am. I'm not really good at hanging out with developers and eating pizza. And there's nothing wrong (laughs) with, with doing that and discussing all of these topics. But clearly, that's just not what I am personally good at. And it's also not what I relate to. When I like I won European Young Innovator of the Year in 2017, and essentially what I did was I I entered a startup competition in in Cork, um, just a few weeks before going to um, Brussels. I got second place, right? Which is fine, but I don't like losing. Yeah. just I really don't. It's, I just don't do it very well. Um, and I was very happy for the girl who won. That was not the issue. It was just that I felt that it wasn't right. That apparently once again. I drew the short straw and I was getting really sick of it. So I said, you know what? I got invited now. I made it to the final rounds of European Young Innovator of the Year. This was an award from the European Commission, right? So I was there shaking hands with Yikri Katainen, who's the European Commissioner for Enterprise Investment and Entrepreneurship. And I won it. And I was like, am I pitching the wrong people? is somebody is is something wrong here you know this was too easy yeah no it it went it just went down really well like I obviously tailored my pitch to Brussels and I just felt like they they got what I was saying but that's because GDPR was born there and they already heard about it and then in the last I suppose last 18 months in Ireland people were like Oh, the GDPR is a thing. We're doing a conference on it. Emerald, do you want to come? So for example, the Irish Independent, I gave the keynote on my 30th birthday last year. Wow. There was a billboard that said sold out and my face was next to Helen Dixon's face. And it was just kind of like one of those moments where you go, first of all, how on earth did I get here? That was the first question. The second one was, I don't deserve to be here, but I'll do it anyway. Because um, we all have it, right? It just stays with oh, you. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, like we, were, we were saying earlier, is it humility or is it self-doubt or is it a, a bit of the two? What do they call it? Imposter syndrome? Imposter yeah. syndrome. You don't believe that like you deserved it. Yeah.
0: It's not humility. It's just this this like i'm quite an anxious person by nature i'll worry about stuff forever like even like especially the small things i'm wonderful in a crisis but if there's something small somebody says i want to talk to you can we talk tomorrow i'll worry about that for like the (laughs) next (laughs) i'm that person so um yeah i think that imposter syndrome stays with you yeah and um actually really interesting story about that um the ceo from the former ceo of morgan mckinley recruitment firm um they hired me to basically start implementing their gdpr program last year and i handed it over to a dpo because you know you want it was a consultancy gig and um i said to him and like he was he built it from a one room in cork and he recently handed over to another lady called alda mcdonough and um both fabulous people actually but I said to him does it ever go away you know you've been doing this yeah, for 30 yeah. years does it ever stop and he goes nope it doesn't it stays with you but you need to keep it because that paranoia is good it will keep you going oh so, absolutely You're
1: pushing yourself yeah
0: and I was like okay I feel a little bit better now <laughs> tell me
2: was there an element that at the same time when you saw your face up on the billboard that like finally people are getting it
0: um
2: yeah like surely at a certain point, you must yeah. want to kind so, of rub it in people's faces and say, I've been doing this for
1: years. Though. Told you so. Yeah. yeah,
0: so it wasn't that moment. It was, um, do you know Clear Prezzo? Um, he does presentations yeah. for pretty much everybody. It was just a few weeks ago when he tweeted something along the lines of, GDPR, I can't believe everybody is surprised about this. Emerald was talking about this five years ago. That was that moment. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but no, and I think that there is a real misunderstanding now because of the GDPR talk That is just the GDPR. And then when you go into companies, what you have to tell them is GDPR is part of a wider regulatory framework. And you need to take into account all these other regulations as yeah, well when you're yeah. doing things. So... It's it's been nice and it's been nice to be able to say you know like I've earned I've earned it I I really do feel that now that we're doing well and now that we're actually have more than one person on the team which is nice um, you know that that we've earned where we are and that we're getting clients that are serious clients mm-hmm. and not just you know a, a local baker not that that is not a serious client but you know that people Scale with up. big reputations are reaching out to us saying we have all these other people supporting us, but can you come help us figure out the difficult things? Yeah. That feels really good. It makes me also feel like I'm not crazy, which is nice because I really often thought, am I, am I losing it? Should I have just gone, taken a job? And right now I don't feel that way, but that stayed for a long time.
2: And do you find it strange when you look back on it that, I mean, you could have continued into the law route, but given even when you made reference earlier to how many times you've traveled, like mm. you're... You know, it's taking you on a completely different, like probably way more than you could have imagined even when you started the business, just in a total different journey.
0: Yeah. So first of all, I know that I would have been miserable. I know now just from the way everything just fell into place, even though that I grinded it out for years that this was what I was supposed to be doing. I am exactly where I'm supposed to be right now, and that's a nice feeling. Um, I would have been so miserable in a law firm. It's just not aligned with what I like to do. I worked for governments. I've done a whole host of things, right? I've implemented directives within the Dutch government. I've done my time in organizations. Um, And I always kind of figured, like, if this is what I have to do 40 hours a week, I'm not going to be very happy. And now my life literally involves going to India as part of Ivanka Trump's delegation that has happened. I was there (laughs) last November. Yeah. I went to the global entrepreneurship summit with the US state department, because the US state department is really backing me. They're amazing. So we have Ireland backing me and now the US state department backing me and then Brussels backing me as well. That has been like the holy trinity of my success. Um, so I suppose we were featured on Forbes this week and that just blew my mind. I've like no idea how I got there um, from where it started, which was literally a bedroom in a horrible house next door to UCC because I was a giant nerd and I wanted to be near the university. <laughs> there you go. So that is literally how it went. And apparently that was how it was supposed to go.
1: You've come a long way.
0: Yes, but we're not done. Um, no,
1: I'd say there's a lot more to come. I'm, I'm
0: all in on privacy and I, and I feel that we're living in a world where privacy is going to become a commodity. We're already kind of there. And um, we see this with the paywalls that come up mm-hmm. that go, if you want to use the site for free, click here. We will sell your data to everybody and their dog. Yeah. Um, if you don't want that, click here. It will cost you X. Yeah. That's where we're going. But I, and I think it, that there's a real opportunity there for new businesses as well.
1: Oh, and it's going to get harder. It's going to get harder.
0: Or easier, depending on your business. Well,
1: I, I mean, just with with more data in the cloud, with drones, with 5G, with all these things driving massive more creation of data, after data, after yeah. data, set. connected home, connected yeah. home. Yeah, that freaks me out. Quantum um, computing. I will not have
0: it in my house. So I lecture at the Law Society of Ireland and I lecture specifically on drone law, IoT, Tech law, so everything that's slightly exciting, right? That's what I like. Yeah. But we talk about, and I talk about this in my lectures there, um, on um, information asymmetry. And that's essentially an economic term. But what it means in the context of data protection is imagine yourself walking down the street on your way back home from work and you're on the phone to your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whatever and you have the same pattern every day. And every day you pass the same lamppost and the lamppost switches on, a drone flies overhead, a lady jogs by you with her smart socks and they pick up your presence because your mobile phone, etc. Over time, all of these devices will be able to develop really discern your patterns and what you are likely to do, where you are at certain points in time, etc. Now, the device owners will not know this, but the providers too, um, the device that they're wearing will, and the service providers that sit behind that. So this creates a net of knowledge behind you that you're completely oblivious to, where all of these entities know exactly what your patterns are and know more about you than you do. And that is what they call information asymmetry.
1: Do you know what else it sounds like? The Matrix.
0: Yeah. Like (laughs) this whole, we are currently living like in a, I suppose, a combination of Animal Farm, 1984, and Brave New World. Yes, yeah. And that sounds really dystopian. And I really try not to be dystopian, but I feel really depressed about where we
1: are. I I know. I
0: really do. And I really love innovation and the use of data and what it can do. Like I have a smart watch and... But I will not have a smart home. No way. If I have to start a company that allows you to buy dumb devices, I will be that person. There will be no TV with a camera in my house. There'll be none of that. It will just not happen. Because I know what happens behind that. And I've done too much research into it. I just won't.
1: No, I get that. I've started leaving my phone downstairs at night away. Mm. Um, Someone is saying somewhere those waves that travel through the air are eventually going to do something to us. But...
0: Yeah. Who knows? It's
1: a long way off.
0: With that, I'll take my chances. But just the fact that, you know, you don't know when the microphone is on. Well, yeah. well, all you have is their policy. Yeah. Mm. It has gone wrong a couple of times. All that requires yeah. is a Google you search. Could, and you can
1: turn Siri on instantaneously by accident. Like that happened in a couple of meetings where I'm sitting mm. there, my phone's on the table, and all of a sudden it's, I get Siri talking just because somebody mm. said don't something on that's some, like, yeah, that I'm just to Siri. for kids.
0: Like I don't really care that much. Like I care about my own privacy, of course, but... Yeah, smart toys and stuff really freak me out because you don't know who's listening. You and do um, There's huge security problems with some of them. And I know we're all supposed to be super happy, clappy, screaming innovation all the way and, you know, drive the economy, blah, blah, blah. That's actually what's behind the GDPR as well. It's not anything noble to yeah. protect people. It's there to drive the digital economy. Um, but it's just so scary. It's scary. If it goes wrong, it goes badly wrong.
1: Yeah, Like you said, we've come a long way. So, listen, um,
2: we could keep talking for hours easily. Uh, Why don't you tell us something that no one expects about you?
0: Oh, this is going to sound so ironic now. Okay. Um, I often get asked the question, right? um, So, when you sell Eurocomply, because I will sell it, that will happen. I'm not saying when, but it will happen one day. I'm not in this forever. Um, I want to open a smart gym. Um, The main reason for that is. I was a personal trainer and that funded my law degrees. Like, I'm self-made. Um, I l- would really like to have a fitness career. And if I could do anything else, that would be it. So wow. I don't think anybody knows that about me. No,
1: no. I, I heard you're a painter as well. And a cocktail mixer, I believe.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, I I think I was always entrepreneurial. I just kind of forgot that that was the description of what I was doing. Um. I used to write for Photoshop Creative Magazine. So okay. I was a bit of a whiz with Photoshop um, in my late teens, early 20s, and I made more money during that time than I did during the first years of Eurocomply. Wow. <laughs> no <laughs> joke. Really? Yeah, no. I used to do commissioned work for people. So, Yeah.
1: Well, very talented. Thanks for coming on Thank the show. You. We appreciate you being I here.
0: I have a slight too. Thank you. And we'll talk again. Talk again. Thanks. Thanks.
1: We'd like to thank Emerald for opening up her mind for the 13th episode of Money Never Sleeps, a podcast brought to you by Owen Fitzgerald and me, Pete Townsend, and sponsored by Top Tier Recruitment. You can learn more about Emerald and EuroComply on EuroComply.com. Please subscribe to Money Never Sleeps on SoundCloud or on iTunes and leave us a review. We love the feedback. Also, check out our website for more at MoneyNeversleeps.ie or drop us a line on info at MoneyNeversleeps.ie if you're an entrepreneur with a story to tell. We'd also like to thank the team at Create Sound for recording and editing this podcast and thanks to Dogpatch Labs for their unwavering support of the startup community in Dublin. Till next time, thanks for listening. See ya.